Be Christ's church. Impact the valley. Reach the world. All for the glory of King Jesus. Welcome to the North Roanoke podcast. Today, our lead pastor, Daniel Palmer, will be opening God's word for us. Our prayer is that you will encounter the living Lord as you hear his word proclaimed. I want to say again, good morning and and welcome to North Roanoke. And if you don't have a church home, we would love to have an opportunity to tell you more about Jesus and how he's changed our lives and how much we love him and delight to serve him. So I I really want to encourage you to complete one of those uh, welcome cards. I would love to be able to follow up with you and uh, for the rest of us and our guests included, obviously, if you have your copy of of God's Word, if you have your Bible, uh, please join me in Acts 14. If if you don't and you've got a phone with an app, scroll to Acts 14, but however you get to Acts 14, that would be great. We're going to begin in verse 1. We're stepping back into... Uh, the first missionary's journey, the first overseas mission trip. Paul and Barnabas have been sent out from the church in Antioch of Syria, and they've just been driven out of Antioch of Pisidia, which is across the Mediterranean Sea, up into Turkey, what, what is modern-day Turkey. And they've been persecuted. They've been driven out. And what we see at the end of 13 is that persecution does not steal their joy. Persecution cannot rob them of the presence of the Holy Spirit. And so what are they going to do? Are they going to tuck tail and run? Are they going to go home? Are they going to quit? No. What we see in chapter 14 is though they have to leave one location, they just go to the next location. They persevere in the mission of our king. So this morning I, I want to share some lessons in perseverance from these missionaries who refused to quit. They had some stick to They stuck with it. We're going to start in verse 1 and read down through verse 7, and then we'll cover a few points, and then we'll, we'll get deeper into Acts 14 as we go. So would you hear with me the word of God? Now at Iconium, they entered together into the Jewish synagogue and spoke in such a way that a great number of both Jews and Greeks believed. But the unbelieving Jews stirred up the Gentiles and poisoned their minds against the brothers, so they remained for a long time. Speaking boldly for the Lord, who bore witness to the word of his grace, granting signs and wonders to be done by their hands. But the people of the city were divided. Some sided with the Jews and some with the apostles. When an attempt was made by both Gentiles and Jews with their rulers to mistreat them and stone them, they learned of it and fled to Lystra and Derbe, cities of Lyconia, and to the surrounding country. And there they continued to preach the gospel. Would you pray with me? God, help us. Help us to digest this text today. Lord, we pray by the way of your Holy Spirit who aids in the hearing of your word that you would sanctify us. God, shape us. Lord, uh, give us give us something we can take home. God, give us something that we're going to hang on to. Give us something that will shape our lives forever and help us to be conformed more into the image of our glorious Savior. We pray it in His name and for His glory. Amen. So it it becomes impossible for Paul and Barnabas to remain in Pisidian Antioch, but they don't see that as a time to quit, but as a cue to continue. Do Do you see your persecutions that way, your adversity that way? God's got something more, something else, another stop. They they travel 
southeast for 85 miles through, as Merida writes, rolling countryside, then past the snow-capped peaks of the Sultan Mountain Range to Iconium. And they show us that to persevere in God's mission, we've got to be confident in or passionate for the gospel and committed to God's instructions. That's the first thing I want you to see in verse 1. What had just happened in Antioch? The, the leading Jews, the synagogue leaders in Antioch, tell them to get out of town. So they, what do they do when they go to a new city with a synagogue? They go right to the synagogue. You see that? They entered together into the synagogue. They go right back to the place where they experienced adversity before. Uh, those words, entered together in verse 1, are better translated, entered in the same manner as they had before. Here's what Luke is saying. Look at these guys. They, they don't let the prior pressure or persecution that they faced in their former city cause them to come up with their own plan. They go to the Jews first. Why do they go to the Jews first? Because God said, go to the Jews first. Did you know God's will is difficult sometimes? Do you know sometimes God will call you to run right into the teeth of what you know is going to be a problem? But God's will, just because it's difficult, doesn't mean it's deficient. Being selfless in a world fueled by selfishness is not easy. We live counterculturally. We are citizens of a different kingdom. And to live for our king in a world that is against our king, it's not always easy. Indeed, it is impossible without the Holy Spirit. And here are Paul and Barnabas filled with joy and the Holy Spirit determining that they will obey God even though it might bring hardship and difficulty to their lives. They obey in the face of likely problems because they're not on mission for themselves. Are you here for yourself or are you here for Jesus today? Are you in your marriage for yourself or for your spouse and for the glory of Jesus today? You want to obey in your marriage? Remember, you aren't in it for yourself. You want to obey in your parenting? Remember, you're not in it for yourself you want to obey in your membership and involvement and investment in your local church. Remember that you aren't in it for yourself. Is this on this morning? Paul and Barnabas aren't on a vacation. They're on a mission. And whether you're on a mission trip in Turkey, modern day Turkey, or you're just trying to get out of your own head and stop being all up in your own fields so you can get on with doing what God has said, any of y'all ever get all up in your own fields? That's a new one for me. That's, uh, you got, I got that one in some marriage counseling. Sometimes I just get all up in my own fields. Can't get out of my own way. You know what Paul would say? Stop it! Lean into the truth of the gospel. Believe on Jesus. It takes a better story and a better agenda and a better motivation than what I want. Or what I think is easiest. It takes a passion for Jesus and a confidence in his gospel to get out of bed and to live for God. That's what we see in Paul and Barnabas. They go straight to the synagogue. And they spoke in such a way that a great number of both Jews and Greeks believed. They didn't just show up and check a box. God, we did what you told us to. 
We marked ourselves present, but we weren't really emotionally vested in the moment. No, they spoke in such a way that the people saw that they had been changed by grace, motivated by grace, compelled by grace. Here's a question. Can people see around you that your life has been changed and is moved by the gospel? God will use that in your life. God works through the purity and the personality and the preparation and the passion of missionaries and evangelists and preachers. And guess what? Everyday Christians like you and me to save still more. And in this case, what happens? A great many believe. Both ethnic Jews and Greeks believed in King Jesus. But then what happens in verse 2? Opposition comes. Wherever the gospel goes forward, you see two things. You see gospel advance and effectiveness, and then you see adversity and opposition. Here it is, verse 2. Unbelieving Jews stirred up the Gentiles. What do we learn from this adversity, this opposition? We learn that we don't go on mission in our own strength, in our own power, with our own message. We go with the word of the Lord, and we must rely on the Lord to do His work. The Lord has to honor His word. So they're stirring up the Gentiles, and they're per. They're poisoning their minds against the brothers. Who are the brothers? Paul and Barnabas and these new believers from verse 1. The unbelieving Jews stir up the Gentiles. What does that mean? It means they try to get them all up in their fields. It means they appeal to their emotions. They throw out a bunch of bogus accusations, some mumbo-jumbo, until something sticks. And, oh, you're going to ruin our way of life. Oh, you're serving a king other than uh, Rome and Caesar. Oh, what's going on? We, We can't handle it. And something sticks in their minds to do what? To poison and embitter their minds. This is interesting. Did you know the way your mind gets poisoned most often is through your emotions? We live in a world that's made a lord of how I feel in any given moment. Do it? Does it feel right? If it makes you happy, it can't be that bad, right? I mean, the song said so, for those of us who are old enough to know that song in this room. You all know that song? If it makes you happy. Yeah. Yeah. To our guests, I apologize. To our members, I apologize. It's, it's funny, but it's, it's reality that Satan attacks us through our emotions. That he uses proponents of the anti-gospel and the false gospel to appeal to our emotions, to override our ability to comprehend God's truth. And, and what happens is the, the minds of these Gentiles are embittered with slander and false teaching and anti-gospel teaching. So what do Paul and Barnabas do in this case? Well, they're not physically threatened yet. So they, they, they just stay. <laughs> Look at verse 3. I love it. Increased opposition only increases their resolve. Rising opposition leads them to rise to the occasion. These new believers, especially when faced with poisonous anti-gospel teaching, what do they need? They need discipleship because they've only just come to saving faith in Christ. So Paul and Barnabas, even though they're opposed, remained for a long time. How do you remain in an environment of opposition for a long time? You love the church. 
You love the Lord of the church. You love the king and long for the advance of his kingdom. You know that the God who gives grace to save is the God who will give grace to sustain. But it's not just the duration, right, of their stay that stands out. It's also their dependence upon the Lord. In verse 3, the phrase speaking boldly for the Lord really means speaking boldly with reliance on the Lord. They are bold. Why? Not because they just have a, a bold personality but because they rely on the Lord Jesus, who through the indwelling and filling of the Holy Spirit in their lives, makes them bold to continue speaking. What do they speak? Do you see it? The word of His grace. They stay on message. They don't remain and then just change their message. They keep preaching the message of grace. Why do we sing grace, grace, God's grace, grace that is greater than all our sin? Because is there any greater message than that? They don't let works righteousness or self-righteousness creep into their message in order to be accepted in the city. They keep proclaiming the message of grace. We are saved by grace. We are moved by grace to then display and declare His matchless grace. And the reality is the message of grace cuts one of two ways, right? Some hear the message of God's amazing grace and they perceive their wickedness and their sinfulness and their rebellious heart they they see that no amount of good they could do would ever cover up the wrong that they have done and when they hear what Jesus did for them on the cross that he's already done it that he's already taken sin and death and conquered it and if they'll believe on Christ they get the righteousness of God rather than the sinfulness of their own life they're overwhelmed with gratitude And they trust in this king. And they follow him wholeheartedly. But there are others, quite frankly, that think something like this. I've done a pretty good job, thank you very much. They're like, Marita calls them like the self-righteousness Sky Miles Club members. Y'all know about Sky Miles? You get, get enough Sky Miles, you do enough to get some perks, right? I earned it. I earned that upgrade to first class. I earned my first in line for standby privileges. But that's not how the gospel works. What does the gospel say? The gospel says it's it's not the people who earn points who get to fly. It's those who trust in Jesus. It's those who come to Jesus not with a bunch of points in their hands. They come to him empty-handed with nothing, recognizing that Jesus has all the points. And he will give all the points to anyone who will trust in him, and he won't lose any of his points in the process. Are y'all, y'all following that? One theologian put it this way, faith is like an empty hand, open, stretched out towards God with nothing to offer but with everything to receive. It all has to come through faith in Jesus. And there in Iconium in New Gospel Territory, the Lord Jesus graciously bore witness to the fact that it's the message of grace that saves. It's the message of grace that brings us into the kingdom. How does he do it? Signs and wonders come through the hands of Paul and Barnabas. King Jesus himself, the Lord Jesus, authenticates the message of grace with signs and wonders through the hands of these small A apostles meaning that they're missionaries. They're sent out from the church in Antioch of Syria. And what is Jesus saying? 
He's saying, look, if you want to get into the kingdom, if you want to have a life forever with God, the message that can get you there is is the gospel. It's the word of grace. He grants a foretaste of his coming kingdom for those who will repent and believe. But sadly, verse 4, not all believe. What happens? The city ends up divided between those who believe the anti-gospel preached by unbelieving Jews and those rescued by the word of grace proclaimed by Paul and Barnabas. Don't miss that. The gospel is what drives and unites the church, but for now, it brings division in the world. I've often heard Christians lament the disunity, for example, in our country. Big shocker. People are going to be divided in this world. Do we realize that? Do we realize that the only message that's going to bring enduring and ultimate unity is the gospel of Jesus Christ when we're united under our King forever, celebrating what He has done? Do you really think that in this world that we can produce a a unity that satisfies through the political system? Of course we can't. You're asking fallen sinners to do what fallen sinners can't do. The only unity that's going to satisfy forever is the unity in that king paid it all with his blood, all to him I owe forever, and I am so thankful and excited to be here. How about you? Yep, same story. There's going to be a unity one day. And it's the responsibility of this body to be a preview of that unity that's coming when our king returns. Motivated, compelled by the message of grace. But the city's divided and it leads to an attempt to harm Paul and Barnabas in 5 through 7. In, and what we learn is sometimes we've got to know when it's time to move on. Sometimes it's time to, all right, Lord, I'm going to pray about that, but I need to, need to go a different direction for now. Verse 5, we, we see that when Jesus comes along and gives people all the spiritual sky miles that they're ever going to need, the platinum members of the self-righteousness airlines lose their collective minds. Both Gentiles and Jews come together, and they come together with who? With the rulers, meaning the, the city officials are signing off on this active attempt to harm and to stone Paul and Barnabas. And what do they do in verse 6? They move on. They don't abandon the mission. They move on to the next opportunity. Indeed, they're going to come back to this city later to shepherd and disciple the believers in this city. But for now, they have to move on from these disciples that they've trained for a long time. So they aren't abandoning the church. They've prepared the church, and now they're able to move on knowing that the threats will subside. They fled not because they were afraid, but because they wanted to keep advancing the mission. Maybe this morning you've reached a place in a relationship where sharing the gospel just leads to constant attack and assault and division. Maybe it's time to leave that relationship to God in prayer for a season. Not to abandon your burden for that person, but maybe he's sending you to share the gospel with someone else. Paul and Barnabas go to Lystra, about 20 miles south of Iconium and Derby, which is about 60 miles southeast of Lystra, and then they also go, verse 6, to the surrounding country, meaning they go to the many villages and towns along the way throughout this Galatian province. And what do they do? Look at verse 7. What do they do as they go? They got persecuted again. They tried, they were gonna, there was a plot to kill them. They're like, man, we better stop preaching the gospel. Nope. Look at verse 7. They continued to preach the gospel. 
They stayed on mission. They stayed on message. Literally, they evangelized. They kept announcing the good news. The message that nearly cost them their lives is the message they keep proclaiming. Let's, let's see what happens there. Verse, verse 8 all the way down through verse 21. Now at Lystra, there was a man sitting who could not use his feet. He was crippled from birth and had never walked. He listened to Paul speaking, and Paul, looking intently at him and seeing that he had faith to be made well, said in a loud voice, Stand upright on your feet. And he sprang up and began walking. And when the crowd saw what Paul had done, they lifted up their voices, saying in Lyconian, The gods have come down to us in the likeness of men. Barnabas they called Zeus and Paul Hermes because he was the chief speaker and the priest of Zeus whose temple was at the entrance to the city brought oxen and garlands to the gates and wanted to offer sacrifice with the crowds but when the apostles Barnabas and Paul heard of it they tore their garments and rushed out into the crowd crying out men why are you doing these things we also are men of like nature with you and we bring you good news that you should turn from these vain things to a living God who made the heaven and the earth and the sea and all that is in them. Verse 16, in past generations, he allowed all the nations to walk in their own ways, yet he did not leave himself without a witness, for he did good by giving you rains from heaven and fruitful seasons, satisfying your hearts with food and gladness. Even with these words... They scarcely restrained the people from offering sacrifice to them. But Jews came from Antioch and Iconium. And having persuaded the crowds, they stoned Paul and dragged him out of the city, supposing he was dead. But when the disciples gathered about him, he rose up and entered the city. And on the next day, he went with Barnabas to Derbe. When they had preached the gospel to that city and had made many disciples, they returned to Lystra and Iconium and Antioch, the very places where they had previously been persecuted. You say, that's a lot, Pastor, and it's uh, a few minutes after 1120. What you going to do? I'm going to keep preaching. Verse 8 through 18. I want you to see that we can be flexible as we seek to share the gospel faithfully in new contexts. We can be flexible as we seek to share the gospel faithfully in new contexts. For, for just a moment, think all the way back to Acts 3. You remember the beginning of Acts 3, just outside the temple, there's a man born lame that Peter and John heal, and then he's leaping and bounding and praising God. He goes into the temple, and then we get a sermon, and Peter and John are like, look, we're not God, God worked through us. Look, the same thing's happening here in Lystra. Now, Lystra was under Roman rule, but the people had basically not accommodated or assimilated into the Roman culture. So they were generally regarded as uneducated people, all right? Some Bible scholars were like, they are backwoods, backwater town. I know. I got some good news for you this morning, church. You ready for it? The gospel is for the sophisticated and for the simple. The gospel is for people from uptown and downtown. It's for people from Manhattan or from Mayberry. It's for people who dress real nice and for rednecks. We all have the same need. We need the grace of God. 
shed forth through what Christ has done on our behalf. Our, our need is Jesus. And so the miraculous object lesson that God gives in the heart of Jerusalem right outside the temple and that he gives in a backwater town that's never even heard of Yahweh, what lesson are they given? They're given the exact same lesson. What do we see again? We see a man who is powerless in his feet, literally, from his mother's womb. He has a congenital birth defect. He's never walked, verse 8. This is a picture of every man, woman, and child who's ever lived apart from faith in Jesus. Our purpose is to commune with God, is to walk with God, is to know God and to glorify God wherever we go. But we are born spiritually lame in our spiritual feet, powerless to follow God. But God comes down, and he comes to heal and restore, and there's this man sitting there who is a perfect picture of our spiritual condition, and Paul is speaking. Do you see that? And and something amazing happens in verse verse 9. I don't want you to miss this. The lame man listened. You say, well, what's the big deal about that? Did you know... Every week across America, people show up and hear the gospel, but they don't listen. He he didn't check Facebook. He didn't check Insta. He didn't mock. He didn't nitpick Paul's attire. Well, we don't dress that way here. He didn't complain that the sun was too hot or that the clouds were too dreary. He didn't assess and evaluate. He listened. He listened. And as Paul speaks, what does he do? Do you see it? He looked intently at this man who was listening. I want to tell you something pastorally, let you in on a little secret. Sometimes, and I can't fully explain the dynamic, but there are times when I preach, it is possible to see God doing something in the heart of the people who are listening. Sometimes it's one person. What does Paul see? He sees that this man, how does he see it? How do you see faith? Faith is not something you can see. But somehow, God is showing Paul as he's listening that he had faith through which God would heal him. And so what does Paul do? He commands him to stand right up on his feet. I love that. You say, why do you love that? Because he didn't say, get up on your knees. He didn't say, take it easy. He didn't say, here's a walker. He didn't say, here's a massage therapist. Here's some physical therapy. He said, get right up on the source of your brokenness. That's how amazing our God is. He can take your past and he can make it a platform by which you honor God. So this guy gets up and he starts walking and then things get interesting. Paul and Barnabas before they can tell the onlookers about the one true God who became a man to take the place of sinful men, they conclude that Paul and Barnabas are the incarnation of these false dead Greek gods. They think that Barnabas is Zeus, the head of the Greek pantheon of gods, and they think that Paul is Hermes, Zeus's messenger. So now this is all happening. You, see, you remember, do you see it? In the Lyconian language, what does that mean for Paul and Barnabas? They have no clue what's going on. But when the local priest, the Zeus, shows up with some honking oxen and garlands, they start to get a clue. And in verse 14, they hear what's up. They tear their robes. And what do they do? They, they rush throughout the crowd as a sign of great distress and protest of their intended blasphemy. 
You remember what happened in Acts 12? Herod is worshipped as a god, and he's like, that's right, I'm God, and God strikes him dead. Paul and Barnabas are like, no, we're not God. We're just here to tell you about God. So in verse 15, they ask a rhetorical question. Why are you doing these things? Now, they're not asking for information. Anybody in here a parent and had a toddler and you say, why are you doing that? Does that mean, like, tell me your, your philosophy of life and, and why you're putting M&Ms on the floor? No, it doesn't. What does it mean? Stop it. So that's, that's the same sense here. Stop it. And then he says, we, which is emphatic, he puts it at the front of the sentence, we are men just like y'all. And then they announce that they have good news. They came to bring some good news. There's an opportunity to turn from these dead, worthless, vapid, non-gods to the worship of, do you see it in verse 15, the living God. We've got good news. The real God is alive. And you can know Him if you'll turn to Him. You see that word turn? We often don't think of repentance as good news, do we? Kind of feels a little awkward. I got to own it that I was doing something wrong (laughs) and that God was right. But what does Paul say? Paul says repentance is good news. You were running in a direction that heads towards death, hell, and the grave. You were worshiping yourself and you were lifeless and dead on the inside. But you have the opportunity to turn to the living God. That's good news. Those who turn, those who repent, can be restored to to their creator. There's no salvation without this turn. A turn, as Marita says, away from every alternative object of our devotion and to the living God who made everything that is. Paul understands that his audience has zero or very little familiarity with the Old Testament. And God's promise to send his son through son and his king through Israel. So where does Paul begin? He doesn't begin with Israel. He doesn't begin with David. He begins in the beginning with the God who did what? Made the heaven and the earth and the sea and all that is in them. He begins with the reality that God is alive and made everything. Now certainly, if Paul hadn't been interrupted, he would have gotten to the promises to Israel and Jesus as the fulfillment of those promises. But here's what I want you to see this morning. Paul shows us it's okay to be flexible in how we get to Jesus. It's okay to know the context in which we are speaking and the audience to whom we are speaking and to rely upon the Holy Spirit to help us connect God's story with the hearts of those people that they might eventually behold Jesus. After Paul encounters their idolatrous worldview, he says in verse 16 that God allowed the nations to to walk in their own ways. His reference to past generations suggests that he's about to tell them what Jesus is doing in the present right now. Unfortunately, he doesn't get that opportunity. The fact that God let nations walk in their own ways in the past doesn't mean that they are without excuse. While they did not have the written word of God, the special revelation about God's Son like Israel, do you see what happens? God did not leave Himself without a witness. Everyone in the world has a witness to God. It's the witness that's often called general revelation, or the witness that comes from what theologians call common grace. What is common grace? 
Common grace is the undeserved goodness of the Creator God expressed by His general care of creation and persons, all persons everywhere. So says Bruce Demarest. You say, well, where's that concept in the Bible? Psalm 145.9, the Lord is good to all. He has compassion on all He has made. Jesus in Luke 6.35 says, the Most High is kind even to the ungrateful and the evil. Where is this kindness from God? It's, it's in His sovereign ruling care over all that is. That there's one God over all and caring for all and worthy of the worship of all should be plain to see by all, but sin messed us up. The coordination of the rains and the seasons and the harvest that yield food that satisfies our hearts with a measure of gladness, verse 17. What should that, that, what should that do that should lead us to seek after God who satisfies us not just with food for our stomachs but with himself as food for our souls? But sinful humanity, what do they do? They mess it all up. Romans 1.25 says they default to serving the creature rather than the creator. Sin makes us stupid. We default to worshiping things rather than the maker of all things. We focus on our status and our image rather than reflecting and bearing the image of God who made us. And yet God is patient and kind. He ascends the rains. He has the harvest. He produces food. And in his kindness, Paul says in Romans 2 verse 4, that it is meant to bring us to repentance. But in Lystra... The idolatry is strong, and the people are fickle. In verse 18, Paul is barely keeping them back from sacrificing to them. Certainly, Paul wants to say more, but unfortunately, some Jews from Antioch and Iconium show up. They travel 100 plus miles to catch up to Paul and Barnabas. It's not enough that they got them out of the city. They chased them down. This is an anti-missions mission trip. We're going to stop those guys. And they go down and they persuade the crowds. And the crowd goes from nearly sacrificing to Paul and Barnabas to stoning Paul and dragging his seemingly, seemingly lifeless body out of the city. Here's a question. If that's a picture of what can happen to those who faithfully pursue God's mission, then how do we persevere? We persevere in the ways that we've already seen. We know when to move on. Didn't move on quite soon enough this time, it appears, for Paul. We trust the gospel. We trust the power, God to honor the gospel. We obey God's commands wholeheartedly. But look at this last point, 19 through 21. We must not look to the response of the crowds, but to the faithfulness of our Savior. Paul is stoned to the point that people think he's dead. You know who Paul is, right? He's the same man who oversaw the stoning of Stephen. And what happened when Stephen was stoned? He looked up and he saw King Jesus ascended to standing at the right hand of the Father. And, and Paul was there. And Paul has now encountered the risen King Jesus on the road to Damascus. And he knows that live or die, he has been changed from one who was against Christ to following Christ. And he's been faithful to his king's command. And if it takes his life, he's willing to give it. 
His life does not consist in how many people like him or in how many people respond to the message he preaches. The measure of a life lived for Jesus is faithfulness no matter what it costs. Now in this case, Jesus doesn't take Paul to himself in heaven. Instead, he works through the action of his church. You say, where is Jesus Jesus is in heaven as the head, but he's working through his disciples. Despite the fickleness of many in Lystra, apparently some believe because there's some believers that intercept Paul's lifeless body. They encircle him. They don't let these men just drag him away. They're like, no, that's our guy. They insert themselves forcefully into the situation. And they put themselves around him in a posture of prayerfulness at risk to their own lives And the man who spoke the gospel so people could rise up and walk now rises from near death. And where does he go? Right back into Lystra. And the next day carries the gospel to Derby, where many trust in Jesus. How did Paul keep going when it seemed like death was certain? He didn't look to the crowds or to his circumstances, but to Jesus who faithfully walked to the cross for no fault of his own, so that he would make us his own forevermore. He looked to the one who looked to the cross, and for the joy set before him, endured the cross that we might be saved. I pray, by God's grace, that he would help us in similar fashion to persevere. Would you pray with me? Lord Jesus, for the sake of your glory and the good of all nations, help us be passionate for the gospel and committed to your instructions. Help us trust you to honor your word and not get stuck and miss out on taking the mission to others. God, help us be flexible while remaining biblically faithful and sharing the gospel, and help us not look to the crowds or for popularity, but look to the person of your Son who endured the cross for our salvation. We pray it for his glory, the good of all nations, in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you for listening to the North Roanoke podcast. You can connect with us at northroanoke.org or download our app in your device's app store. Just search for North Roanoke. We hope to meet you soon.